Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, Public Health for the Public. Hi, I'm Dr. Jim McDonald, Medical Director, Rhode Island Department of Health. And I'm Dr. Philip Chan. Welcome, everyone. So, Dr. Chan, today we're going to talk about vaping. Uh, vaping is not new. It is common, however, and it's a public health concern. It's, it's more of a concern to me a little bit during this time of COVID, where optimum lung health is critical. Uh, so we're going to talk about vaping today. We're also going to talk about confidential resources for teenagers and others who would like to get help to sort of move on from vaping. There's a website called mylifemyquit.com, which has got discreet, personalized advice for anyone on how to overcome vaping. Uh, so it's a nice resource for people. MyLifeMyQuit.com is a very interesting resource that people can avail themselves to. So today we have a guest, Dan Fitzgerald. Dan, welcome to Public Health Out Loud. Good to have you here today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So Dan, why don't we get started? Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself and why and how did you get involved with the tobacco use prevention work in your community? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, you know, thanks again for having me. My name is Dan Fitzgerald. I currently work for the American Lung Association here in Rhode Island. I serve as our national senior manager of advocacy and our advocacy point person here in Rhode Island. Um, and for my first three years at the Lung Association, I oversaw all the work of Tobacco Free Rhode Island, which is a network of over 100 um, local, state and national um, tobacco control partners, all working to reduce the impact that tobacco has here in Rhode Island. Um, and that's made possible actually by a grant from the Rhode Island Department of Health. Um, for me, it's really exciting. Tobacco has unfortunately been um, a really personal topic to me because of how it's impacted um, my friends and family. Um, and for me, I actually got involved in tobacco control and prevention as a middle schooler in my community. I lived down um, in Hopkinton in the southern part of the state. Um, and I started doing that as a youth advocate. And the really cool thing is the first organization that really helped me get my voice to the state level was Tobacco Free Rhode Island and the Lung Association. Um, and I did a lot of really great work with the tobacco control program at the Department of Health. Um, so fast forward, you know, years of, of um, been able to do a lot of different things here in Rhode Island and nationally in the tobacco control environment, but to kind of come full circle and then work with um, our tobacco control partners here at a state level has been uh, really exciting for me. Yeah, thank you, Dan. I want to welcome you as well. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it's interesting as you were chatting there, one thing I was just thinking about is how tobacco has really, even if you don't smoke, and I have, I don't smoke, uh, but even if you don't smoke, uh, how tobacco has touched everyone's life in one way or another, even indirectly. And I was remembering my grandparents um, who both died, who have both since passed, uh, and how they used to smoke and certainly had a number of health conditions uh, attributed to that. So I, I think we just, sometimes we just don't realize the total impact that tobacco has. And I know that we're going to get into that. would love if you're willing to share uh, your experiences about how tobacco has uh, affected you personally, and also even the pandemic. I mean, we're sort of in the midst, uh, hopefully winding down here, but uh, tell us about, you know, how tobacco and or the pandemic have sort of affected you personally. Yeah, for sure. And you know, one of the things anytime I have a platform to talk about tobacco control and prevention work, I think it's always important for us to say that um, 
you know, in this work, we're not anti-smoker. Of course, we're anti-smoking, but there's a real difference there. And I think the exciting part of this work is it takes smokers and non-smokers together to really work forward, you know, to move this work forward and ultimately reduce the impact that tobacco has here in our state. And I think that's been the approach I've taken. I have loved ones um, who have successfully quit smoking. I have loved ones who've you know, tried it time and time again, who have not successfully um, quit smoking. And I think it's about all of us working together because, you know, as many times as we can get somebody to try to quit um, and use that lived experience to talk about this can really help that. So, you know, and for me, probably one of the first experiences I had talking about tobacco um, or, or nicotine dependence in general was actually with my mom. I was just probably about five or six years old. Um, my mom talked to, we were walking by somebody on the street who was smoking. Um, and we've, you know, of course had this conversations over many years, but it was the first time she kind of disclosed that when she was really young, she had started smoking. Um, and my mom was a foster child. She was adopted at the age of 12. Um, but before that had started um, smoking, I think around the age of, of eight, quit several years later. But all those years later, her body was still craving that nicotine, even though it hadn't had it for decades. And I think that was my first kind of understanding about how powerful the connection for nicotine is on the young body and the young mind. Um, I've kind of used that as a move forward of just thinking about about specifically in the prevention work of preventing that onset um, of anybody trying this and hopefully any use at all. Yeah, Dan, thanks for adding that. And you know, I really do appreciate the story about your mom that's so real, so relatable. And, you know, it, it just, I wanna bring this back to vaping a little bit though. What are the health risks for young people when it comes to e-cigarettes or vaping devices? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I think, you know, the first and foremost, um, when we're talking about vaping, it's something that's we have decades and decades of research about combustible tobacco products and, and other non-combustible products. We're still learning a lot more about e-cigs. I think from a lung perspective, we know, you know, if we're breathing anything except for clear, you know, clean air, there's a concern there. Um, and I think one of the biggest things anytime I'm able to talk to young people is there's, you know, a lot that maybe we don't see listed on the back of an e-cigarette product, an e-liquid, um, or a pre-filled pod-based system. There's a lot there that may fall under that um, natural extracts and flavorings category. And when you actually take that into a lab and, and you see, you know, Stanford University is a really great resource that they've done that and look into some of the products there and you see 50, 60, 70. Um, you know, different chemicals in there, some of which we do already know a lot about that they're harmful to us to breathe, they're harmful um, to the environment and things like that. So I think that's probably um, the number one thing that I try to, to talk about when I'm, you know, talking about the harms of e-cigs with young people. So Dan, I'm, so I turn uh, I turned 43 this year. Uh, so vaping uh, is still, I wouldn't say it's a bit new, but it's a little bit new to me. Uh, you know, growing up, there were cigarettes and cigars and pipes and, you know, lots of other tobacco uh, products, but not vaping. And, you know, I'm also a, a father of a nine and a 13 year old. And I, I'm just wondering, maybe for our, our listeners that aren't, uh, who don't smoke or maybe not, don't know as much about vaping, tell us about the scope of vaping. Is it a is it a problem, essentially, and, and how common is it? 
Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And, you know, we do have a lot of really great um, data here and looking at the amount of young people who are using products and in what products. So we do know that the only products young people are using, it's not just e-cigarettes, but certainly that's a huge portion of when we're looking at nicotine use in general from young people. We're looking at about uh, a third of our young people who have used a tobacco product in Rhode Island high school. So that's that's a really high number especially considering when our youth cigarette smoking rate um, was one of the lowest or if not the lowest in the nation for quite some time at, at around 4.8%, um, if I'm not mistaken. So as we're looking at that big jump, that's that's certainly a huge concern. And, and vaping, to your point, vaping has looked a lot of different ways. Um, it has, you know, been from disposable products that maybe looked like cigarettes to devices that um, were maybe a little more hidden, ones that look more like the flash drive or pod based systems. And now we're kind of seeing going back to a lot of those disposable products um, where you're using it, they come pre-filled and then moving on to, to another one. So it's been interesting to see over the last decade how the even just the way they look and, and um, operate has changed a little bit. Yeah, Dan, so it kind of makes me wonder a little bit about vaping in general. Like, so vaping it isn't harmless. It's got its own health risks. I mean, it's it's not pure. In other words, not like you're just, it's funny when you say electronic cigarette or vaping, it sounds pure, but it's not. There's chemicals involved, uh, heavy metals, maybe cadmium, nickel, lead. There's some other chemicals in there as well. But I guess what I'm just curious about is what is the attraction to vaping? When I think about teens and young adults in particular, what, what draws people to the world of vaping? Yeah, that, that is a great question. I think to the first part of that is the, that kind of the naming, right? We, we hear, we talk about it as vaping and that kind of implies that it's a vapor or just a water vapor turning from its liquid to its gas state and it just kind of dissipates and it sounds pretty harmless. But when we're talking about all of those chemicals in there, when you're pressurizing or superheating that, that's turning into an aerosol. And, you know, if we think about what other aerosols we know in our daily life, we think about things like, um, the like spray paint or hairspray designing to get, you know, really get those chemicals to stick um, in other places. And now we're doing that in our airways and in our lungs and on the people and things around us. Um, so I think that's a really important piece. And to your point about, you know, kind of why, why are we here? Why is, you know, about a third of our young people using a tobacco product, including e-cigs? And I think part of that is, some of this, you know, as tobacco control professionals, as parents, as educators, and as young people, we are all seeing these and learning about these at the same time. So we don't have that that um, that timeline of decades of research um, and you know really effective campaigns. Um, so our young people were kind of using these as we are learning and trying to catch up. So I think that's a start. And then also when it comes to flavored products, we know we've seen the data time and time again. Young people start because of either the advertisements, the how it's being promoted to them and these flavors. And then they stay smoking because of the nicotine. And that's something, especially as these new versions of e-cigs um, have come out onto the market, the way in which that nicotine, um, the levels and this new kind of salt-based nicotine, it's really designed to pair perfectly with the young brain. Um, so you put all of those things together and it's kind of that perfect storm. Um, and then the other piece I think that helps kind of speak for itself is that unfortunately we're 
it's not a ton of new people, if you will, or organizations. We're dealing with a lot of the same big tobacco companies who are now owning and operating and using those same playbooks they've used for decades to push forward a new product. Um, and I think that kind of helps fill in some of those gaps about how did we get back to this point of um, this, these high rates of nicotine dependence that we haven't seen in decades. Yeah, thank you for that, Dan. And I think one other thing I've become aware of too are these sort of incognito vaping devices. I mean, it seems like, you know, so many of these things are tailored specifically for adolescents and kids. Um, and that, uh, you know, just I think to put it bluntly, the tobacco industry is really trying to stay a couple steps ahead of, uh, of, of e-cigarette sales, et cetera, and making it easier for youth, especially to keep vaping, even in public places, even in the classroom potentially, when obviously it's banned, uh, et cetera. So uh, how, as you reach out to parents and for the listeners, how, what do you tell parents about how to spot these and, and what does it look like? Uh, how, how do you even begin to tell you know, if your kid is vaping? Yeah, that, that's a really great question. There's a couple resources that I definitely want to highlight for parents, but ultimately, like you said, it's kind of we're always playing catch up. We're, we're working to try to understand what's happening, work to educate our, our parents and educators, um, all while trying to prevent that use from, from our young people. And um, you know, some of these different incognito devices that you mentioned, I've seen them as sweatshirts where, you know, you can just use your, your e-cig, connect it to that, and, and it's in the pocket and you're just kind of chewing on a drawstring, but it's actually allowing you to um, breathe in that aerosol right in the classroom or even just to thinking about where we were with the jewel of how sleek that looked. And, and a lot of the, the current devices kind of have that really sleek look and some resources that I think are really exceptional for parents. One is a, a Rhode Island based one and it's called Hidden in Plain Sight um, through a Rhode Island regional coalition. So if you go to riprevention.org, um, right in the top bar there, they have this um, walkthrough that's called Hidden in Plain Sight. And basically parents can go through a mock teenage bedroom and look at um, a lot of it is e-cigs, but some are other kind of substance use or, or mental health um, related indicators, but it's resources for parents to better understand how can you kind of see where, where your child at is at and then have some conversations based on that. Um, and then here at the Lung Association, we have a really great resource called the Vape Talk. And the whole kind of premise is our, our young people are hearing about these products, whether we have the conversation or not. So it's the idea of getting in front of that, having that informed conversation with your young person um, where you feel confident and you're starting that conversation early. So um, that's the vapetalk.org, or you can find that just at lung.org. Um, and it has a conversation guide for parents to start that conversation and some really great educational resources so that our parents can feel as up to speed as possible. Yeah, Dan, and I think, you know, as I'm trying to understand the vaping epidemic better myself here, you know, part of what I'm trying to understand is why young people are drawn into this in the first place. And I'm just wondering out loud is, is it as simple as kids and teens are just targeted by marketing and it's very easy to get addicted on nicotine because it is a very addictive substance. Um, and, you know, and I, I think when you look at vaping, there, there are high concentrations when you're, you're vaping of nicotine. And, and I mean, what, how, do you, how do you respond to that? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, another great question. I think, 
you know, from in I do a lot of different um, work with young people. Sometimes it's more of a, um, you know, pre-COVID would be a large presentation or sometimes in smaller groups. And I find asking some of those questions to young people has been really impactful to hear kind of where they are. Um, and in, in my community down in Cherahoe, I, I help our school district run a retreat for any students who um, have been caught with using a substance at the school rather than getting suspended. They work with a team of us who puts on this retreat program where we provide them education, for example, about e-cigarettes, access to quit resources, and then hopefully it sets them on a different trajectory. And during that, I've learned a lot. Um, and, you know, I think from what I've heard, a lot of young people from that indirect peer pressure, not like somebody saying, here, try this, you know, or you have to try this, but it's more so that social pressure where it feels like everybody's using this must be harmless. I should, I should as well. So there's certainly that. Um, but I've also seen a lot of that, the attributable, um, you know, flavors, as, as I was briefly mentioning before, of you see that even in the data, as we've had different restrictions and, and we have, or even at federal levels where there's been certain flavors who have not been taken off the market, that then the youth use goes to those flavors. So really following those different flavors there. So I think there's a big um, access point there. Um, and then the really unfortunate piece as we continue that conversation is they may have started for that, that social aspect or they started because of the flavor or just not knowing. But a lot of the young people I'm talking to now, they're continuing because of that, that nicotine dependence, not realizing maybe that it's, it's at the point of addiction, but even some of an anecdote for a young person I talked to saying, you know, I'm, I'm not using because it's fun anymore, I'm using just to feel normal. And I think that's kind of part of that, that picture there of understanding that our young people are just trying to get through the day at this point and at a really young level or at that level of nicotine dependence where um, even if they're starting to, they don't want to use it as much, their body is starting to withdraw because of that level of, of nicotine dependence. Yeah, thank you, Dan, for that. And I know, Dr. McDonald, too, that uh, we both do some work in substance use and addiction and obviously have seen uh, the potential for addiction to really ruin lives, frankly. And, uh, and uh, certainly, I think nicotine can be addictive. And especially with growing brains, I mean, we're talking about youth and adolescence day, certainly with growing brains, there's that neurological connection that's developing, you know, that hardwiring. Um, and addiction just really messes that up and hijacks your brain can prime you for other addictions, uh, et cetera. But what have you seen, Dan? What is, you know, you know, understanding that not everyone, of course, that uses nicotine, tobacco in general, uh, will get addicted. But what have you seen the potential for addiction to be like with tobacco uh, and vaping versus one or the other? What are your what are your experiences there? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, kind of getting back to some of those anecdotal, you know, responses from young people that I've I've worked with, hearing that you know, again, you're, you're starting for whatever reason, and that you're at a point where maybe as our educators and our administration are learning a little bit more about what they look like, how to spot it, it's maybe harder for them to use during the day. Some of the young people are at a point of, of that, that dependence where they're turning to other tobacco products just to get through that day. So some of these smokeless tobacco, um, tobacco products, sometimes that could be like a combustible 
um, or a traditional tobacco product, and sometimes even new like salt-based nicotine pouches, for example. So now they're using this nicotine product to get them through the day until they can get back to a vape pen. Or we're even seeing, unfortunately, a rise in the amount of young people who are starting to use combustible tobacco products, again, like cigarettes. So we're seeing you maybe are getting to such a threshold with e-cigarettes. And now rather than what we're maybe sometimes hearing um, in the news about, you know, these products can help you quit. We're seeing from a young person perspective that unfortunately we're seeing them transition over to combustible products. So maybe a student who would, you know, we've learned from a really young age that um, all of the harms of, you know, traditional cigarettes, but then at this point of your body is addicted to, to this nicotine, that at that point you're just using to get through that day. So I think it's, you know, from a kind of testimony to that level of addiction or, or dependence or how um, much nicotine is, is no joke, if you will. Um, I think that kind of helps tell some of that story. Yeah, and when we think about resources to help people move on, like, you know, we've had a quit line in Rhode Island, 1-800-QUIT-NOW or 1-800-784-8669. We've had that quit line for years, but mylifemikequit.com is an interesting web page. So I've been to mylifemikequit.com a couple of times. It looks like there's a lot of interesting resources there. Can you tell me a little bit about that web page? Yeah, sure. Um, and I think, you know, first and foremost, when it comes to quit resources, I think it's great to highlight as many as we can because different things work for different people. And I think that's the whole premise behind My Life, My Quit um, is this is something specialized for young people. And in a lot of the, the quit resources we see, um, we've seen over the years are usually for people over 18. So I think this is about knowing where we are, putting, keeping our finger on the pulse and understanding we have such a high amount of young people um, who are experiencing this nicotine dependence of finding a resource that's developed specifically for them. Um, and I know it does have phone call option, but I know if, if you know, if there's any young people in your life, um, we hate making phone calls. So having other options like the, the texting platform or online chats really make it, I think, more accessible to young people um, and speaking the language that they're using. So rather than maybe some of the clinical terms or, or even as we're talking about as an aerosol or electronic nicotine delivery systems, but really calling it what they're calling it. Um, and I think we've seen that to be really effective. Um, and, you know, from there, there are some additional um, quit resources. So I will throw that out there. As I mentioned, Tobacco for Rhode Island um, does some really great work in this space um, and partners really closely with the Department of Health's Tobacco Control Program. But at tobaccofree-ri.org, they have a whole list of all of the different quit resources that are available in person, online, by phone, by text, um, and even for providers to list um, to see what's covered from different um, insurance plans, for example, um, so that we can make sure that everybody has access to adequate uh, quit resources. You know, thank you, Dan. It's been fun to talk to you today, and it, especially about the issues of vaping. If people are looking for more resources on vaping, you know, the CDC has some great stuff. The American Academy of Pediatrics has some interesting stuff, and the Surgeon General has these all have great web pages that talk a lot about vaping. You know, one of the things I think about with vaping in particular is an old quote from Mark Twain. And I think we'll probably end on this note is, you know, Mark Twain said about quitting smoking. It's the easiest thing in the world to do. I've done it a thousand times. 
And, you know, I think Mark Twain in his own wit just illustrated how addictive nicotine is, how hard it is to quit nicotine. And it's one of those things where it's quite frankly, far better never to get started with something than to have to overcome that barrier in life. And I think about during the pandemic, there's so many barriers we all have to deal with and just so many different public health measures we do. It just seems like one thing that's just really more needed now than ever is not starting a new habit. I will say, though, as a pediatrician, I'm amazed how many of my patients are vaping. It's just very common um, for people to be vaping. And it concerns me as a pediatrician how many people are vaping uh, because it is a very common thing. It's time for us to go to our final word, though, with Dr. Chan. Dr. Chan, what's the final word for today? Yeah, thank you, Dr. McDonald. And thank you, Dan, again for joining us. Uh, Lots of great information there. So on that, and in closing, uh, I leave folks with a moment of Zen to consider throughout the rest of your day. And here it is. Every experience, no matter how bad it seems, holds within it a blessing of some kind. The goal is to find it. Thank you all and be safe. So I wanna thank Carol Stone, our technical director. I wanna thank Jose Garcia, our executive producer. I'm Dr. Jim McDonald. Have a good and keep up the great.